Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. Imagine being at Mount Sinai as the Ten Commandments are being given. There's thunder and lightning around the mountain. Ram's horns or trumpets are blaring. The mountain itself is is smoking. As God speaks, the mountain itself shakes. It's terrifying. But the people whose Scripture records are, are actually there around the mountain. They aren't just terrified of these awesome things that are happening. Even more so, they're terrified because their conscience condemns them. They are terrified because of their consciences condemned there as they hear God speak. They have two problems. First, they cannot keep these commandments that God is giving. And so when God speaks, they are overcome with fear and shame just as Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden when they heard the voice of God speaking in the garden, and so they hid. And second, they realize that this means they will die. When the Israelites hear the voice of God, they say to Moses, don't let God speak to us anymore or we will die. Speak with us yourself and we'll listen. You know, if if God's purpose in speaking directly to the Israelites was only to terrify them, I, I think it worked. But there seems to be something more going on here. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, for God has come to test you, so that you may always fear him, so you don't sin. Now, at first glance, Moses just seems crazy. Uh, A, if God himself has come to test me, I have every right to be afraid. And B, how is it possible that the fear of God would enable me to not sin? And besides, what is this about don't fear, but, but, but fear always? You know, as Lutherans, we are big on properly distinguishing the law from the gospel. Moses seems to be doing a pretty bad job of that here. Because the law should terrify me, and the gospel, uh, not fear, or the law, is our motivation for keeping God's law. The preaching of the law doesn't, uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't comfort It doesn't give life, it only condemns, it only terrifies. It doesn't save or comfort, which is why in every sermon, I hope you hear the gospel above anything else. Moses sounds like he's mixing the law with the gospel. But on the other hand, perhaps when Moses says, God has come to test you, he's alluding to something that the people would have been familiar with. Consider what would have been one of the most uh, well-known stories among the people of Israel at this point in time. The incident of of Abraham's near sacrificing of Isaac, his son. We heard it earlier. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said, now take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains there, to the the one to which I direct you. In both cases, Moses uses the same word. 
God has come to test. When God tested Abraham, Abraham obeyed. But just as Abraham is lifting the knife to slay his son, the angel of the Lord, that is the second person of the Trinity, God's Son, the pre-incarnate Jesus, calls to Abraham and says, Don't do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. And Abraham looked around and he saw that there was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns, and so he, he took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son Isaac. And Abraham called the place, the name of that place the Lord will provide. And so to this day it's called, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Like Abraham on Mount Moriah, God is testing Israel on Mount Sinai. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses actually comments on this event at Sinai, and he tells us what happens next. Moses says that the Israelites did indeed understand they were being tested. And just as God had provided a sacrifice in the place of Abraham's son, so they were asking for a substitute from God. And God responds to them by saying this. They have done well by saying what they said. I will raise up a prophet for them from among their brothers. That brother would one day be born in the city of Bethlehem. And he wouldn't come with all the terror and might and awe of God, but humbly and gently as a servant as a baby. And years later, just as this Son of God is, is about to begin his public ministry, John the Baptist proclaims, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Just as God's testing of Abraham had as its purpose to assure Abraham and Isaac of the certainty of his promise regarding the offspring and of the fact that, that he, the Lord, knew Abraham's heart, and he counted him as one of his believing people, Moses' words to law-terrified and, and, and faith-tested Israel should be seen as gospel-centered comfort. He is directing them to the Messiah, the Lamb of God, who will be their substitute. When Moses says, do not be afraid, for God has come to test you so you may always fear him so you do not sin, that work of always fearing and never sinning would be done by the substitute. Jesus fulfilled the law. What does this mean? It means two things. First, it means that he kept all the commandments perfectly and did not sin or stray at a single point. This is called Jesus' active obedience. He is actively fulfilling and keeping the law. Second, Jesus' fulfilling of the law means that he suffered all the punishments prescribed in the law for those who, who don't keep it or don't fulfill it. This is called Jesus' passive obedience. In fulfillment, this is Jesus' crucifixion and death on the cross when he is passively obeying and passively suffering, when he is truly sacrificed as the Lamb of God the Lamb of God on Mount Calvary, which, by the way, is likely a renamed, or by another name, Mount Moriah. 
the same mountain on which the Lord provided a ram or lamb for Abraham. The Lord provided the lamb once and for all. And both Jesus' active obedience and Jesus' passive obedience are absolutely necessary because we have the same two problems that Israel did. One, through our law-breaking, we lacked righteousness, and so, too, we acquired the death sentence. If we were to be saved, we needed a substitute to supply the righteousness that we didn't have and to suffer the punishment that we deserved. But sometimes we forget about the first, Jesus' active obedience, and we focus straight on the second, his passive obedience on the cross. For a few years now, I have seen a meme go around on social media around this time of year uh, that, that has two wreaths on it. The first one is a regular Christmas wreath, and it says, uh, "'Tis the season." And then the second one is a, is a wreath of, of crown of thorns, which says, "'Tis the reason." And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, of course. It's, it's accurate and right. But the birth of Christ loses something if we merely think of it as a prerequisite for the crucifixion. If the work of Jesus were solely about his passive obedience, then we have to ask, what was Jesus doing for the first 33 years of his life? The answer was that he was obeying the law. He spent those 33 years having the right God, properly using God's name, keeping the Sabbath day holy, honoring his father and mother, and so on all throughout the Ten Commandments. And so when you and I sin by breaking the commandments, Jesus not only says, your sin is forgiven, I have taken the punishment for it, but he also says, the commandment that you have broken, I have kept perfectly. I have the righteousness that you lack, and I give my righteousness to you. And so because of this, the Father in heaven doesn't see us as sinners with with whom he, he merely tolerates. But he sees us as perfect through the righteousness of Jesus. And he is absolutely pleased with us. And so he grants us access to him. We don't have to be afraid to come before God. What happened next at Mount Sinai was proof of this. It was proof of God's gracious intent toward his people. Moses immediately turns away from the people, and he does the unthinkable. He approached the thick darkness where God was. Moses went into the terrifying thunder and lightning and smoke and the terrifying voice of God, and he did not die. The people there surely knew that Moses was not without sin. They had seen him sin. And yet Moses went into the cloud directly without fear. Into God's presence without fear. Both Abraham and Israel, upon, upon being tested, were being forced to, to look ahead beyond death. Abraham gave up his son Isaac, concluding that God would raise him from the dead because he believed the Lord's promise that a son, a seed, would come through Isaac. God would not break his promise. 
Israel would later receive Moses back from what they saw as certain death going into the cloud. Because ultimately, through the Ten Commandments, God promised a substitute. And so too can we look beyond death through the obedience and death of Jesus, the Lamb of God. Moses, you see, actually was properly distinguishing the law from the gospel. In Christ, our substitute, we don't have to fear the law because in Christ, we are perfect and innocent according to it. And in Christ, we are free to, to actually do what the law says and to not sin. So fear not, for the Lamb so long expected has come. In Jesus' name, amen.